Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego, and I'm joined, as always, by Andrew Keats, managing editor at Voice of San Diego. What's up, dude? How are you? Fellow managing editor, Andrea Lopez Villafaña. What is up, Lopez? Hey, Lewis. Coming up on the show this week, we are cooking with gas, at least for a little while. The great gas stove debate sparked this week, and people are losing their minds but it provided yet another moment for San Diego's reality to catch up with its policy because we've been planning locally to phase out gas-burning appliances like stoves for a while. We will explain what we mean and what the plan is and what it's not. Also, we have some new data on homelessness. Our Lisa Halverstadt looked at those who got out of homelessness and into homes and how they paid for it. You might be surprised. We'll break that down. And finally, the big flooding story that is not about Mission Valley. Mission Valley did have some flooding, but it turns out there's more to talk about than just Mission Valley. That's all coming up. Stay with us. All right, we have some updates to get to, but just uh, quickly, uh, I interviewed uh, Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs this week for a special podcast, mm-hmm. and it's good. I recommend it. It'll be in your feed. But... Uh, at one moment, I was asking her to explain a couple of things that she had said, and, and she started getting into the, the minutia of how like uh, Congress works. Yeah, just did you pre- go with pretending that you understood or admitting your ignorance? Uh, I I asked her to explain. Okay, and at one point she stopped and she's like, "This is probably too wonky." And I was like, "Girl, <laughs> you're in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> Have you listened to this show before? We've spent a lot of time." explaining building codes mm-hmm. like <laughs> this yeah. is where you come yeah. for the wonk she's gonna be like house speaker at some point in her life huh i think she's she's already in leadership i know that's what i mean and she's young enough that she can continue to ascend leadership at, at any point that the democrats take power in the next 30 years yeah she'll she have very reasonably be the house speaker she'll have uh, a pretty secure seat Although what, one of the things that was interesting was I asked her a lot about her stance on the Defense Department budget and mm-hmm. spending. Like she is a San Diego representative representing right. San Diego in Congress. 
And she believes the Navy's trying to build too many ships. Although, <laughs> do they, are they building too many ships here? Or are they building too many in general and <laughs> the perfect amount here? <laughs> You know, I didn't ask that. That should have been clear. Like, well, the real problem is they're building them in Newport News too much. Puget Sound, too many. Newport News, too many. Here, exactly the right number of ships being built. Well, listen to that. Uh, I thought it was a good conversation. I had exactly 45 minutes with her and I took up every single minute of it. Okay, so I was at. uh, we went to Best Buy. Uh, my son and I, every couple of weeks, got to go to Best Buy. And uh, Ashley came with us and we went. Went to and, the DVD aisle and started shuffling wait, through. How often do you have to go to Best Buy? We just love Best Buy. It's like, it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> don't you love Best Buy? I've been there like twice in my lifetime. Whoa, just, uh, there's now a, that's crazy. There's a lot. <laughs> of, in the late 90s, going to Best Buy, early 2000s, late 90s, oh boy, that yeah. was fun. Well, a uh, couple of reasons. We wanted to get a, a thing for our TV to hang up on the mm-hmm. wall. And then also, uh, we we coincidentally need a new stove. And uh, she wanted to, my wife wanted to check out the induction. I was going to say, yeah. Um, which is fascinating. There? Yeah. Did you know that how induction works? Like it's a magnet. You can put your hand on the stove and you don't get burned. But yeah. we'll get into that yeah. a, a later. We'll circle back. But we couldn't quite get to Best Buy because the, the road was blocked out because there was a river on top of it. It was like a, you know, like a real river. You know, in the east, you see rivers and they're like big or the Mississippi itself or there's just big rivers. Yeah, ri- I, rivers. I do. <laughs> well, I grew up in the Water west. flowing. <laughs> I grew up in the west where like you'd see a little creek and it was like, river! Yeah. And this was a river mm-hmm. and there was a car in the middle of it just sitting there and they just left it. They, you can't, if you get stuck... In the flood, they just leave you there. You like they leave the car there until it clears up, because it's like we're not going to risk our lives getting your stupid, you know, SUV out. Mm-hmm. A lot of folks driving into flooded waters Why are they all doing the time, that? all the time. I like, I, there must be some trick I don't understand about it, because the frequency that it happens, it just shouldn't be as the way my brain understands the world. I tweeted a, a video of the whole scene. It was uh-huh. very interesting and got a lot of. Of comments, a lot of people were like, "How come they haven't fixed the problem of flooding in Mission Valley yet? It's been this way my whole life." I'm like, "It's not. There's not a problem. It is a flood plain. <laughs> yeah. The the problem of Mission Valley is our settling it. Yeah. yeah. Our our building of a civilization there is more the issue. I think if you look at at, at in, or if you ever have the opportunity to get in a helicopter or something, it's like a it's a perfect bowl. Yeah. That goes on for miles and miles. Yeah, like or is, if you just drive into it, yeah, you, you can look. go downhill, and then when you go out, you go uphill. Yeah, it's a valley. There's yeah. a river there. <laughs> yeah, oh, Mission Valley. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's gonna do that, and uh, huh. all the new stuff going in there, like they have to plan around this going to happen every few years. So everybody talked about the flooding that occurred with these uh, rash of storms, right? Rescues, in, everything. Yeah, in Mission Valley, but you and our multimedia journalist, Ariana Dressler, and uh, decided on Monday, like, maybe we should do something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, her and I have traveled to San Ysidro, uh, Tijuana River Valley area. There's a lot of ranches there, so if you've never been there, it's a really cool experience. Like, you just walk into this world where there's ranches everywhere. It's so weird. There's two giant cities, and in the middle of it is like this, Yeah, feels like 
like West Texas yeah, or something. Horses, like people just riding their horses down the street. It's such a cool experience. And I've been there with her before. And on Monday, she went around shooting different areas where she could, right? Because a lot of places were flooded. And she heard about flooding in this area that we've been to before where there's a lot of ranchers. And when she got there, it was like instant craziness. I mean, there was a car stuck. I mean, there's multiple cars stuck in the middle of the road because they were underwater. There was rescues going on. Um, she had to like jump in a kayak to get to this ranch that she was supposed to go shoot photos of. And um, yeah, there's like parts of the ranch where maybe the water was like ankle deep, but then there was other parts where there's there's a photo in, in her photo essay where <laughs> there's like a guy on a horse and the water's touching his stirrups. So like that's how high it was. Mm-hmm. It's just it's pretty insane. But yeah, it was yeah. pretty bad flooding on on Monday and she she almost got shit on <laughs> by, by a horse, horse while she was in a kayak. So she almost fell off the kayak to avoid to avoid the I projectile that was coming at her. <laughs> but honestly, that water's probably worse than yeah. The, than yeah, what's coming out of the horse? Yeah, you should just wave that away and yeah. stick in the kayak right I think you'd be better off no but but the reality <laughs> is that there's a lot of ranches there um some were pretty flooded uh she heard that maybe some people might have lost animals and she was trying to get in touch with farmers uh ranchers who had lost animals and uh this woman that she spoke to said that they lost a lot of hay and um even just like some equipment that was just totally damaged from from the water but it was good to feature a different area there's a lot of areas that flood regularly when it does rain that badly Mm-hmm. And um, and that's one of them. And now we've we're doing some follow ups and finding out that there's some longstanding complaints about the infrastructure and upkeep of the area, and what the city and other entities are doing to make sure that doesn't happen because it's not necessarily guaranteed. It has to happen like that all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not entirely clear like who is supposed to be responsible for that, and I, I don't think we have figured that out yet. But uh, some of the ranchers said that there used to be pretty constant like bulldozers there that would prepare for that kind of thing. And we actually received a photo from one of the ranchers and it looks like a mini landfill. Like there's so much garbage piled on where the water should have been flowing and instead it likely let it float into, you know, created a situation where it was flowing into the ranches. So to connect this to things we often write about, like this is what you're describing there. That is the effect of the, stormwater back infrastructure backlog that we hear about so often Mm -hmm. that that is that's what we're talking about when we talk about it stormwater is like can be a pretty odd concept to wrap your head around sometimes especially when you hear the many billions of dollars in infrastructure needs that we have there that's this is the the practical uh reality that we're talking about and one one of the things i always find interesting about that discussion is it's not just about building more drains and more culverts and more dams or whatever. It's it's also about building uh, natural sort of settings that the water can seep into mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. running into the ocean and thus, you know, carrying things with it. And so when we get into those discussions about mitigations, another thing that eventually <laughs> policy will clash with reality, when they do do that, they're talking about not just like, making new things happen like that infrastructure, but also about eliminating concrete spaces that can be converted into places or dirt that or otherwise can absorb that stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, another update. Obviously, we uh, remain intensely focused on the homelessness crisis in San Diego 
And part of understanding that is just really getting an under, uh, a clear view of why people become homeless, but then how they get out of it. And there's a pretty interesting story by our Lisa Halberstadt this week, Andy, about uh, how many of them get out of it and how they do that, what money they use to do it. And it's not necessarily government assistance in most cases. Yeah. So when the Regional Task Force on Homelessness last year started publishing monthly figures about how many people accessed homeless services for the first time and how many people became housed, um, that started getting a lot of attention very quickly. Um, Media, us included, quickly started reporting on those numbers. Uh, The mayor started citing them often as, you know, last week we talked about this is the source of his for every uh, 10 people we house, 13 people become homeless. We're not keeping pace. Um, but when they started coming around, as they started getting more uptake, I started looking below, you know, what those, a- after that headline number, what else, what else was included in those releases? And one was a breakdown of the people who were housed. And it was buried in jargon that I certainly didn't understand. And I asked Lisa Halverside to explain it to me. And of course, she could immediately explain it. She knew exactly what all of those terms meant. Um, But I was certainly surprised to see that more than half, by, you know, comfortably, of all of the people who are housed out of homelessness do so into signing a lease on their own for a private market rate unit, not a affordable housing unit with an income restriction, not a permanent supportive housing unit with wraparound services. Um, they are moving into w- into regular housing just like anybody else. Now, in some ways that might seem obvious because the vast majority of housing, the, like the housing units that exist- Like the vast, 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 vast like, majority. Are that. Yeah. And the others are so, are, pr- provide such a small number of our overall housing stock that- once you're dealing in the thousands, like we are with the number of people who are, you know, without homes, it, it has to be the case essentially that that more than half of them end up in private market rate units. So it shouldn't be surprising, but it is also um, worth dwelling on because the conversation around homelessness is so overwhelmingly tilted to funding, building, and providing market or uh, subsidized units, uh, affordable housing units, permanent supportive housing units, et cetera. That are restricted to people of certain income levels. Yes. And even among homeless people, not just, you know, working poor people, even among the people who are homeless, the overwhelming majority of them do not end up in those units. They end up in market rate units. And I think one implication of that is when people very regularly struggle to see the connection between building more market rate units and uh, and homelessness is that's where most homeless people end up, not in permanent supportive housing units, not in affordable housing units. They end up in privately owned apartments owned by some landlord who signs a 12-month lease with them. Now, that's not to say that these people are not getting any serv- and any help on their way into these homes. Um, often they're living in transitional housing or shelter units for some period of time. Um, maybe they have a job staying in a shelter transitional housing allows them to uh, stabilize their lives and they can bank a few paychecks and be in a position to 
put in a security deposit to pay first month's rent. Maybe they get some cash aid from the housing commission. Um, so, you know, people are still being housed. There's, there's still, uh, you know, a, a subsidy going to help these people, but that is not a subsidy that's going to the, uh, the, you know, the, the full affordable housing unit that generates, I would, I would say a undue level of attention in our discussion of this topic. Yeah. And which the, the further implication of that is maybe if we had more, we yeah. could, we could get more done to solve that. I I did that piece, I guess a week and a half ago now about homelessness as a housing problem. And the discussion about that has been fascinating. I I've been overwhelmed with feedback and, and people there's a, most of it positive, but a few people like, well, are you dumb? They're all on drugs or, you know, yeah. a lot of stuff like that. But I think the thing that, that Greg Colburn, the, the writer I talk about in that, who did the book, Homelessness is a Housing Problem, he has a wonderful analogy in there about what uh, causes homelessness. We're all talking about all these, these things that individually somebody goes through that causes their homelessness. But he says, look, you stop, stop thinking about it that way. If you have a game of musical chairs where you're pulling a chair away from the circle every so often, you're gonna you're gonna eliminate somebody's opportunity to be in that in that uh, in a in the chair, and if if one of the persons has a broken ankle and is on crutches and can't make it to that the last remaining chair, did they become chairless because of their broken ankle, or did they become chairless because one of them was taken away because there wasn't enough chairs, right? But you know, it's it's remarkable. One of the, some of the homeless services providers that Lisa talked to in the story say like we. When we start think noticing which clients we have are stabilized enough that they're going to be able to live on their own and, and enter a unit, so we mostly don't even we advise them to avoid the housing, the permanent housing, permanent supportive housing, affordable housing, Section Eight vouchers. Like the waiting list is so long, the opportunities are so small that we immediately start from the beginning start gearing them up for how they can get into a position where they can just rent a house because that's going to be even as like think about how hard that is to go from being homeless to having enough money in the bank to sign a lease and a security deposit that's easier than than fi- wow. than than coming up on the in the lottery system mm-hmm. by which we provide fully subsidized units yeah wow. Well, check that story out uh, and all of Lisa's work at vosd.org slash Lisa. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we'll get into the great gas stove debate. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. I don't need to track the origin of this, but <laughs> some federal official hinted that because of the concern about asthma, other respiratory issues that comes from 
gas stoves or gas appliances in homes that maybe the city or the federal government should consider future bans on that. And it became a national story about, you know, whether they should ban gas stoves and these liberals taking all your stuff. And very quickly, my Twitter feed went entirely from discussing Elon Musk to entirely discussing gas stoves. Yeah. Even though like the vast majority, I thought this was interesting too, the vast majority of the country uses electric stoves. Yeah. Like there are places, frankly, blue states. Yeah, that, most of, it's it's interesting that most of the concentration of gas stoves is is in the like classically liberal elite states. Yeah. And so this like blew up, like they're yeah. going to, and, mm-hmm. and I think there was an initial blowback, which happens a lot, which is there's a lot of like people like, they're not taking your gas stoves. Yeah. We're, we're, no, we're not. We're not. Yeah. Because the 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 response was, and and you see this a lot, where it's like, we're not, but also like as long as we're just talking with each other, we we should. That's a good idea. We <laughs> want to do that. But like, if you're going to criticize for it, we're not doing that. To be clear, you're being outrageous. You're being, a, but that's a good idea. And those things do cause asthma and global warming, and it's bad. But like, we're not proposing that. Yeah. so good so uh there's been some further discussion about that but Mm -hmm. this triggered for me like a lot of uh, our own discussions about electrification of buildings that the city of san diego in some extent the region but the city is planning to do they want the region to be powered by electricity electricity that comes from clean sources because of their uh, concern about climate change and contributing to that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so uh, it, we were reminded, we, we have a plan on the books to get rid of gas stoves. Yeah, it's one of these moments where like the national conversation is catching up to one we've already had. It's like, oh, that's, oh, that's right, we did that. But did we have this conversation? Uh, because yeah. it's yet another example of a discussion that's been happening in policy world yeah. where the vast majority of people aren't living. Yeah. And they are now coming into contact with policy land, mm-hmm. and they're 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 irked. Yes, they're rankled. <laughs> they are rankled. And good journalism word. Thank you. No, no one outside of the industry of journalism has ever used the word rankled. <laughs> Headline writers, maybe in a lead, but otherwise, it's basically an unused I'm piece of the dictionary. One. I'm gonna drop another one. Yeah, it's caused a brouhaha. A brouhaha. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tiff. Uh, there's some good. The I think the best concern is is Lopez's. Yeah, yeah, very serious concern. Explain. Well, first I gotta say I don't really care for my stove. If I had no stove, it would make life better because then I wouldn't have to cook. <laughs> but um, what would you? You could just get rid of the whole kitchen. Just just, just get rid of it. Make the whole house it. out of the the make living room. Walk-in <laughs> closet. Yeah, just, yeah. You could have a pipe from the from the uh, taco stand and just they could just shoot Deliver. you. Yeah. The pneumatic tube. (laughs) Well, my concern, not real concern, just thought it was funny, came from a comment on an Instagram post about this um, gas stove um, issue that like, wait, like how the heck are you supposed to heat up your tortillas? Like when I heat up tortillas, I just put it on the stove. I flip it. Sometimes I burn my fingers, but it's like part of the journey. It's, it's 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 important skill to get the the heat just right so it doesn't yeah. burn yeah yeah and to not forget it so it doesn't burn yeah and to not burn yourself but it's something you can master pretty yeah easily. yeah but like I can't put a tortilla on a electric stove. electric stove you can, can I you can I think it's Does more it likely to, to burn and if it burns it's also gonna like 
stain the the the, the stove top. Yeah, no, it's not great, but uh, it you seems could do possible. It. But everybody's into the induction stoves now, uh-huh. and that doesn't work because the only way the induction stove gets hot is if it's in a it's a magnetic pan mm-hmm. that creates something magic, really, and creates the heat. There's uh, if you try if I tried to explain how an induction <laughs> stove work it would be indecipherable for me trying to explain actual magic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like yeah. under under no circumstances would anybody able to be able to discern the difference in those explanations. I mean, I guess you could get a comal. Exactly. Or a magnetic tortilla. <laughs> Just an extra step. Yeah. Uh so what we realized is like, well, let's let's make sure people are clear on this because maybe this is a a, a moment for us to help bridge the gap between policy land and reality, and Mackenzie Elmer did a story, it's a very simple story, explaining that, yes, in fact, San Diego does plan to get rid of gas stoves. Mm-hmm. Now, that has been worked and reworked by the, the mostly conservative outrage machine to the point where it is a ban that's happening yeah. imminently. They're going to come, <laughs> armed men are going to come and take your stove. Uh, it's it's, it's so very good. funny. It's okay. Here was Carl DeMaio uh, on KUSI. But the city of San Diego went even further. They have now set a deadline of 2033 to eliminate natural gas appliances in existing buildings. That's only 10 years from now. They say they're going to do it through a, a mandate requiring homeowners and building owners have to pay to remove natural gas hookups as well as all the appliances, switch them over. That will cost $30,000 per homeowner, according to the city's independent budget analyst. So there's a lot of things said there. I want to pause before we get into the details of it, just to think about it's such a funny system that they have over there (laughs) in that this passed like a year ago. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't fire up the outrage machine. No. They didn't. They didn't go get the outrage keys and put it in the outrage ignition and and rev the outrage engine. No. It just skates through. We write a story about the fact that hey, this thing already happened here. Connect the dots for him, and it's just like, like a, a bat signal goes off, and it's just like we got one. There, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, and and then here they are. It's like Carl. You know, listen to Carl talking about it. There, he he's he's acting like he's well aware of this thing <laughs> that he ignored a year ago. You've got a show for three hours every day. If you were genuinely outraged about this at the time, you would have said so. So It's uh, so opportunistic. It's so funny. So let's start here. First of all, this all starts from the climate action plan that was championed by Kevin Faulkner, the last Republican mayor of San Diego. This This was his crowning achievement, frankly, as mayor that propelled him into the discussion about whether he could be governor. Mm -hmm. And it was about a commitment that the city made to get to basically a a halving at that point of its greenhouse gas emissions, right? Precisely. Now, if you'll recall, when his version of it passed, it excluded the removal of gas hookups from homes. Right, because that was... was, This was actually a, a... Useful point of Scott Lewis, the editor, over me, Andy Keats, the reporter. Who was rankled when I pushed at it. Yes. Because I was like, what about gas? Yeah, you were like, are they really taking gas stoves out of our homes? And I was like, oh, actually, I I haven't 
I, I overlooked that. And what about the gas? Made a few calls, and people had to sheepishly be like, oh, "No, we're gonna that that'll stay." Yeah, they were they were at that point thinking only about the energy we use to to heat our homes. That that would um, be the electricity. Pl- the electricity. The generation of that electricity yes. would come from more clean. But sources. they they made a strategic decision at that first time not to remove all the other gas features in our homes. Um, when that policy was updated by Todd Gloria, they made that change. They, they said, okay, actually we are going to remove uh, gas stoves, gas water heaters, et cetera, from homes. Crucially, in between those two moments, they did nothing else, yeah, right? right? Right. It's not like they retrofitted. We spend a lot of time talking about all the other components of the plan that didn't happen yeah. in between point A and point B. Right. And then they just started adding more things yeah. that to it. But, but yeah, so the, 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 the framework of the climate action plan is that there's a legal commitment of of, of disputable uh, severity that they will cut greenhouse gas emissions by X amount, and then the plan is a bunch of things that a bunch of components that will need to be done to reach that greenhouse gas emissions reduction. So when you hear us talk about oh the city's committed to having this percentage of people walk or bike or take transit to work by a certain amount of time. Um, that is one of those pieces of the climate action plan. Creation of this CCA, the San Diego Community Power, uh, that agency that's going to buy our energy in hopes of making it more renewable. That was a component of the climate action plan. And now this this removal of gas stoves is another one of those components of the climate action plan. So in August, this is what he's referring to. They did pass something, but it wasn't we're going to take gas or force you to take gas out of each home. It was like another plan for a plan, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah, that, that's, right, that's right. And it, if this is all starting to sound awfully silly to you, because it's Sicilian. Yeah, it is. Um, so the city about a year ago passed the climate action plan, this new one that was even more ambitious than the previous one. One of the steps in it includes getting gas fixtures out of existing buildings. That that's To hit the goal, they have to do that. Yes. There's nothing in there that says like how or the requirements or the mandates. It's just like, hey, if we're going to reach these goals, everybody's going to have to ride bikes and or a lot of people are going to have to ride bikes. A lot of people are going to have to walk. You're going to have to get clean power from these solar plants. Also, we're going to have to get gas out of homes. Right. Like and there's like a little picture in the actual plan of like a home kind of like pictured like a dollhouse, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there's like an electric stove, a car charging station, solar panels. Like, But that's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Like, you know, this. this How thing. are you going to do it? We're going to do point this. to the photo. <laughs> this, this. Look at the photo. See how it plugs in instead have, of a flame? Have we not been clear? I'm pointing, like gesturing wildly at the photo. <laughs> this. Okay, so the so then the, the uh, activists who've been pushing the city along on this for years say, there's been so many things you didn't do during the previous plan that we can't just rely on the fact that this plan has been adopted and is on the books and just sit by and wait for you. That, that That's clearly not working. So they urged the city to pass a implementation plan that would actually say, to to achieve this big greenhouse gas reduction number, we're going to do this and this and this, and here's the when we're going to do them and how we'll do them. Um, so in August, what what DeMaio was referring to there was the city's commitment to 
pass that plan. Literally a commitment to pass a new plan. So it's an implementation plan for the implementation plan. Uh, it's a commitment to do the implementation plan. <laughs> so at that time, it was uh, it, it was said that they would come back in February of 2023, which is, you know, if you take a glance down at your calendar, that's very soon. It's already 23. Yeah, right. And it's <laughs> and January is about half out, half over. So we're getting right there when this implementation plan is supposed to come through. So that implementation plan will presumably include uh, a specific peg around removing gas fixtures from a, our home. So the, there's a plan to do an implementation plan that would include a plan yeah. to to ban or somehow get gas out of building. And that somehow is um, discussed right now as something called like a reach code. Um, it's would basically mean we would pass a new building code or a new environmental code that made it illegal to have gas fixtures in new homes or significant renovations, like any time that you need a, a, a permit from the city to do some sort of renovation work on your home, you would then also have to retrofit to provide these these other fixtures instead. That would be the the mechanism of the the mandate, the ban, the phase out, whatever, however you'd like to term it. Can I? Can I so that will happen at some point, maybe this year, after the implementation plan, of course. Okay, so yeah. there's a plan. I feel okay. like we're high or something. <laughs> so, there's a plan for a pulling and pulling. Yeah, exactly. I got to tell you, I, I do a lot of a pl- do a lot of editing where I'm like, boy, how many times has the word plan occurred in this article? <laughs> I'm gonna. All right, okay. there is a climate action plan. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there is a plan to deliver an implementation plan mm-hmm. for the climate action. for the climate action plan. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. and in the implementation plan for the climate action plan, yeah. there will be a plan to implement a building code. Yeah, that would require that if you plan <laughs> to retrofit your home or to to redo your your building of any kind of yeah. significant ways, that you will have to plan. In that plan, to remove yeah. gas, everything you said there is right. It's really well said. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Why, like we should be on KUSI. You but, see, the city has a plan for what's, a plan. You so, see, Carl's wrong. It's not a ban. It's a plan to do a plan yeah, yeah, to, yeah. Do, to implement well, and eventually and a so, plan. And so, I, importantly, what you've drawn out there is is how we get in the situation where like everything that somebody may say about this is right. Yes. Like when Carl is saying the city has already done this in 2033, he's right. You you can dislike the guy. He, what he's saying is true. And if somebody were to come on and say like, we don't really have a ban. We'd adopted a climate action plan. And it, that's like one of the things in it. But like no one's coming to your house to like rip out your gas stove. They're also right. But if a climate activist and, went to them and said, what about the gas in we, these buildings? They would say, we already passed a climate plan that we says we're going to rip this out. And there, and that would also be right. It allows everyone to, it, like everyone gets to be right. Because they're- It's all true. But let's just get- It's this. like when time and space are infinite, everything is true. Yeah. That's like plans upon plans upon plans allow everyone's argument to be correct. Except at some point, that will clash with reality. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Because it either... It, well, <laughs> well yeah, no, th- yes. They will either have to do it and, and, yeah. and require when you do change your building to take it out or incentivize you to. Yeah. Or 
yeah. they will have to back away from it. I do think there's a third option here, which is one that is historically how these things have gone. They'll plan to plan. Do you remember in the 90s, the environmentalist fight around incandescent light bulbs? No. Well, so we used to have... I remember. Yeah. Right. And now we don't. And now we don't. Mm-hmm. And people were really angry about being forced to change That's right. to these other light bulbs, right? Yeah. Because they weren't as bright. Right. And uh, they, it was... They, it was they, different. They, they was different. And people really didn't like that. Yeah. And then do you know what happened? They happened. Those light bulb technology got better until the point that they were the same as the previous light bulbs and cheaper. Uh-huh. And the fight just went away. Yeah. It's just the, the culture war aspect of it or the need for government intervention disappeared because the technology actually did progress to the point that the inferior light bulb was obsolete. Right. Obsolescence did was achieved. Right. And I would guess, I would guess <laughs> that the way this ends is not by the city like going door to door, but rather that induction stoves become so much better. Okay, does that, that just over time they just replace them? So does Mayor Todd Glory in the meantime mm-hmm. find himself forced to either a defend the plan to plan, yeah, and implement yeah a plan, right, or does he back away? Well, so this uh, there's a good example of this with the right. the, the sandag last year, right, which is. Basically the same thing. Everything right. we're saying about plans upon plans upon plans was true about the driving fee. Yes. The, and this everyone the... saying they're going to make charge you for driving was right when they said that. And everybody said, well, it's actually years off and it's, and it's not a, even legal and we don't even know plan. how to plan a plan. That was also right. Was, this is the same situation. That the activists would say, like, are you going to do this? They'd be like, yeah, yes, we got of course. We plan. already committed to it. Plan. Like, yeah, we're taking this very seriously. Side, this is the, the other side said, well, how about how bad that's going to be and mean that's going to be? Don't worry. We're not going to do we're it. We're not actually doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, the driving mm-hmm. fee. Yeah, this was the eventually gas tax isn't going to work because electric cars don't use yes. gas right and so, so yeah there's that that reality hovering over it as well which is just like in this situation right um so at that time as as the outrage machine was was getting rolling over that before, they're gonna try your to charge you to drive <laughs> you scared me yeah right that exactly when they were yelling that uh can you believe they're gonna charge you to drive and in, initially Mayor Gloria, I, I, you know, I remember specifically a news, uh, a TV news interview where he tried out, well, you know, calm down. There will be multiple regional plans passed before then. The state hasn't even made it legal yet. We don't have a technology for it. Like, there, it's a long, long ways off. And that, that didn't work. So he became like, all right, fine. I'm voting against this thing. We have to take it out. Mm-hmm. After months and months of it being in the plan and him never saying anything about opposing it or taking it out. He tried with, uh, well, you know, don't get too worked up yet. There's a lot of time between then and now. And then when that didn't work, he reverted to, all right, I'm directing you to remove this thing. And then he started every few months, they had to start taking another vote. Remove this thing. No, seriously, remove this thing. Um, you know, more plans on top of the plans, essentially. And so I think that's probably the same gambit we see here. Um, the, now, the only question is, in like a month when this implementation plan is supposed to come forward and now that there's like the water is chummed to be outraged about this after it wasn't a year ago what now are you ready to vote for the plan to implement the plan to sometime pass a, a, 
a plan to do this or but, or or has is is that not tenable right now because of Mackenzie writing that story basically <laughs> <laughs> and getting KUSI who riled up about but it. But you can do this yeah. about every part of the plan. Yes. You mm-hmm. could you can individually take all of these out and say like they're going to make you get rid of your car. Every they're- time every time a new community plan is passed, somebody, often it's been me, but or Andrew Bowen at KPBS or you know, a million activists on Twitter have pointed out this climate plan action, or this community plan you're passing does not, by your own analysis, reach the transportation targets that you've set for yourself in terms of how many people are going to take transit, bike, walk. And it's always like, well, yeah, I know, but there's a bunch of other stuff in the plan. We'll get the GHG emissions some other way. And, and, and let's say like you, you can't do that with all of them. They can't all be voluntary or be optional. You know, they can, yeah. but they have to stop saying they have a plan to cut greenhouse gases this much yeah because if they're unwilling to defend even one of the principles yeah in that giant list and and so that's where i feel like it's it's important for us to help surface this because they need to make a decision at some point are they going to defend these changes and things they want to see evolve yeah or are they going to back away because if they're going to back away stop wasting our stupid time I, well, it's you know you you say often you know, as a uh, as a manager that you shouldn't ever say you're going to do something mm-hmm. because you get the shine of doing it before having done it, mm-hmm. and that's what these plans are. Yeah, they're getting the shine. That's it. Faulkner got the shine. He got written up in the New York Times for passing the climate action plan. Faulkner got written up. Like that actually happened in like the Atlantic too, I believe. Yeah, as a progressive, you know, Republican coastal dealing with the realities, and he had no plans to do any of these. Right, he would have backed away just as much as Gloria is. Yeah, I mean, every one of every every component of these plans is immediately discarded the moment there's one angry TV news segment about it. Okay, so bottom line is, yeah. you nothing matters, and you don't understand anything. <laughs> what? <laughs> but don't worry, we can still heat tortillas up on a gas stove for a while Perfect. in the next ten years. Okay, before we go, a uh, reminder, check out that interview with Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs. So if you want to make sure you never miss anything, of course, subscribe. And you can also make sure you follow the show at vosd.org slash pod. That's vosd.org slash pod. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in San Diego that helps you understand this clash between the policy world and the real world. Uh, It's the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego that does that. Keep up with all of our news and updates and investigations with The Morning Report. You can get that at vosd.org slash morning. That's vosd.org slash morning. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrew Keats is Managing Editor. Andrea Lopez Villafaña is also Managing Editor. Nate John is our expert producer. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.